Welcome to the show. I'm Brad Johnson, and this is the Do Business, Do Life podcast. I believe in the and approach to life and business instead of the either or. This show is my attempt to help financial advisors create unlimited growth and freedom in their life and their business through wide-ranging conversations with some of the most brilliant and interesting people on the planet. We refer to this mission as DBDL, doing business and doing life. What up, y'all? Kristen here. And today, Brad is talking with his good friend, Justin Donald, who's a successful entrepreneur and the founder of The Lifestyle Investor, which is a company that teaches people how to create wealth without creating a job. Justin's got an awesome story. He went from being stuck in the rat race, putting work before his family, to mastering low-risk cash flow investing and passive income strategies. And he developed a set of investing principles that allowed him to buy back his time and grow his net worth to over nine figures, okay? So in this episode, you're going to hear exactly how he did it. Uh, Justin's also got a ton of wisdom when it comes to building and scaling businesses. He owns multiple real estate businesses, one of the largest mobile home park portfolios in the U.S., a residential maintenance and rehab company, several operating companies, and more. He has just hired thousands of people throughout his career. So there's a ton of insights in this episode around hiring and growing and empowering your team. Now, before we get to the show, we've got a special gift for DBDL listeners. We've got a bunch of copies of Justin's best-selling book, The Lifestyle Investor, The Ten Commandments of Cashflow Investing for Passive Income and Financial Freedom, and we're going to be giving them away until they're all gone. By the way, worth noting, okay, that Justin's book is now in the top 1% of all books ever sold, and all the proceeds are donated to the Tebow Foundation and Love Justice International, two nonprofits that combat human trafficking in over 30 countries. So if you want your copy and to help support the fight against human trafficking, here's what you're going to do next. You're going to text the number 51, not the word, the number, to the DBDL Insider phone number. It's in the show notes, but I'm going to give it to you now. That's 785-800-3235. We're going to shoot you a text back asking you to leave an honest rating and review of the show. Tell us what you like. Tell us what we can do better. Tell us if there are guests you want to hear. Just leave a review and the rating. And once you've done that, let us know. Just shoot us a text back. We'll grab your mailing address and ship you the book. That's it. Super easy. Please note text message and data rates may apply. You can opt out of receiving text messages at any time by applying stop to any message you receive. Also, quick apology to our international listeners outside of the U.S. Due to crazy high shipping prices, we can only ship these domestically. So please support Justin and just go grab a copy at your local bookstore or on Amazon. If you want the show notes to this episode, including links to all the resources, books mentioned, and people discussed, you can grab those at bradleyjohnson.com forward slash 51. And as always, thanks for listening. Without further delay, today's conversation with Justin Donald. Welcome back to another episode of Do Business, Do Life. I have my friend Justin Donald here with us today. Welcome to the show, Justin. Thanks, Brad. I can't wait to hang and catch up and no better setting than, you know, for the world to hear. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. And we were talking about war stories because we go back a ways. And I said, if you drop anything on here, I don't want you to share with the world. I'll just have Emily edit it out. So <laughs> I offered to drop some good, good ammunition out there for your audience. I know you did, and I know you will. Well, for those that don't know you, I thought it'd just be fun to get into how we met in the first place, which was really cool. You know, I have this thing in life that you put yourself around great people, and they tend to introduce you to more great people. And John Rulin was kind enough when I met him to take me to the very first ever Front Row Dads with John Broman. And I believe it was the second one he ever hosted that we connected at, where you were on a panel just kind of sharing how you kind of did a year in the life of your family and some of the rhythms you had. And I just remember walking up to you after and I said, man, I really appreciated your share. And I kind of put myself out there. I'm like, hey, I 
I know I need to do some some accountability. I want to keep myself in check how I show up as a dad. You want to hop on a call once a week, once every other week. And you were kind enough to say, yeah, let's do it. And that from there went from two strangers to two guys that became friends over the years, because that's been a few years back now. So you're one of the, one of the most well-connected, one of the best networkers I know. So give me your take on how you see organically relationships like that happening in life. Well, you know, I think if you put yourself out there and you're willing to be exposed or be vulnerable, I think good things can come from it. I, I mean, not every time is it going to be honored. I mean, that was a big ask, right? A weekly call. But also, I loved like understanding you and where you were coming from and the authenticity that you had. I was like, well, gosh, if I'm going to do that with anyone, I should do it with you. And if I'm going to form a strong relationship and a strong bond with someone, you know, I want it to be someone that I'd be excited about. And this is probably good for me, too. And so and it was it, it was great. And we were able to hold each other accountable. But I mean, because we talked about just really important stuff right out of the gates. Uh, we went deep fast, we got to know each other really well. And life really started to happen together, right? We just started doing things together. So you know, from a networking standpoint, I love people, I love connecting, I love events where I can meet new people. But I also have my very trusted cabinet of 10 to 12 people that I'm really intentional about spending time with. And, you know, making sure that we're connecting, making sure that we're having experiences. So instead of life happening to me and to the relationships, it's that I can happen to those relationships. I can move intentionally forward to create the time, the space, the place for us to really be able to do life together. And you do a great job of that, by the way. One of the things I've come to really appreciate about you is we've gotten to know each other better. You very intentionally nurture those relationships and connections. And you're always like, Hey, I'm going here. This would be really fun. Do you want to go with me? And I think that's one thing, uh, you know, if, if I look at the people that I know in my life that have like really deep, meaningful connections with people, they nurture them, they pour into them and you do a great job of that. Do you have some things in your life? You said you've got 10 or 12 and kind of your inner circle. Are there rhythms that you intentionally do to maintain those relationships? Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, my wife and I do an annual family planning day. It's marriage and family planning. So it's planning out everything for us. We just have one daughter, you know, for other friends that have, you know, many kids, it's, you know, iterations with each kid, but really just understanding what's important to her, what's important to me, what do we want to do together? Who are the relationships that she needs to keep top of mind and be intentional with? Who are the relationships I need to do that with? And then who are the relationships that collectively we can do? Because you know, as, as couples, sometimes it's really hard to find a unit of four where everyone mm -hmm. kind of is in tune and lockstep and gets along. I mean, sometimes one of my closest friends, maybe their spouse isn't, the connection isn't there for, you know, my wife or vice versa, right? And so we want to protect those relationships. And so as we do this, this family planning day, we start mapping out who are we going to spend time with? Who are the people that I need to get together with just solo? And then who are the people that we're going to be intentional with the four people, the, the two couples, or maybe it's even six couples. And in one of our cases, we're doing a trip this summer in Greece with two of the couples that we really wanted to get more time with. So we're going to hit the Greek Isles and, and get that extended time with them. Love it. Yeah, I couldn't agree more.
And it, what's really magical is when you find other couples that both of you like just really thrive around. So that's cool on the Greece trip. Um, make sure you bring me back some good wine. There's some good wine over in that region. You bet. And I'm excited that as your schedule slows down, I mean, you've been heads down here for a number of years, just really building things out. I've offered a lot of, you know, travel and, and meetups, and uh, it's been harder for you to be able to pull the trigger. We've gotten a few things in over the years, but yeah. I see your schedule opening up more and and I see my offers uh, only increasing. So I think there's a lot of fun to be had here in the future. Yeah, definitely been very heads down the last three years as we were talking earlier today. And you know, I think, you know, that's that's a good segue into kind of this entrepreneurial journey because there's a lot of our stories that have parallels where you were very successful inside of an organization, Cutco back in the day, and and rose through the ranks there of like starting at the ground floor until you were, you know, running divisions and regions of that company. And I had my own journey where I came up inside of a company and kind of had my own book of business before I went out on my own. So let's go into a little bit of your story because there will be some listening in and watching in that are unfamiliar, but give us a little bit of the Justin Donald evolution from Cutco into lifestyle investor and what you're doing today. Sure. Yeah. So I, I really, you know, got started early working. So, I mean, even before Cutco, my parents told me, hey, if you want spending money, we're not going to be your bank. You got to go get a job. So in seventh grade, I got a sales job where I was selling newspaper subscriptions, not the papers, an actual subscription door to door, but without a newspaper to actually show them for the subscription. So it, it was kind of tricky and I was horrible at it at first, like so bad, it was a 100% commission job. So, so bad that for weeks I made no money, right? And for whatever reason, I never quit. I think I just never even thought quitting was an option. I just thought, well, I'm gonna <laughs> figure it out. And I eventually did figure it out. And I eventually got pretty good at it. And I was able to separate taking things personally versus someone saying no to an offer versus no to me. And that really changed the whole game for me. I was able to numb that part of me that felt like I was being rejected, build some calluses around that, and then learning how to handle objections. And so I ended up uh, doing that all through high school. I ended up running my own crew. So my senior year, I took kids out to do what I had done the last number of years. And I always had a good amount of money because I worked hard to figure out basically to make whatever I needed to make for fun and, and then some. And so the transition into Cutco was really easy because I went from selling something really hard to sell that people really didn't want a subscription. And in most cases, what it was is they already have a subscription. I'm selling some other paper and they don't want another subscription to selling a product during college, technically right after I graduated high school, that people actually used, liked. It was high quality, had a forever guarantee. And so the sales were so much easier. But I had this background of working hard, hustling, not taking no personally, and it made the transition in Cutco very smooth. And so I ended up doing well as a sales rep. I ran an office as a manager, as an internship for a summer, did really well with that, but more importantly, enjoyed it. I competitively was good, which was more important to me at that time than the money I made, because I always knew I'd figure right. out how to make money, right? I just wanted to be the best or be do the best I could, but really I wanted to be the best. And so I performed really well regionally that first year. And then the next year, instead of going into investment banking, which is what I thought I was going to do, I had a number of offers, but I ended up picking to stay with Cutco and build out my own organization. 
And we ended up becoming the top office or location in my level of competition. And then we became the top office, period. And then I was able to get promoted to running a division. And in our peak, I had about 40 some odd managers, 300 assistant managers. And then I think we recruited most years anywhere from 3,000, 2,000 to 4,000 people, a lot of years, 3,000 to 4,000 people a year. So it was a pretty big recruiting operation. And I feel like it set the stage for everything after that, because my skills on a leadership side, on a management side, on a recruiting side, like it made everything easy. Just like the skills I had with selling newspaper subscriptions made it easy for me to sell Cutco. The skills that I had in leadership and management and really relationship building really allowed me to kind of take that into starting my own business, starting and technically I had my own business under Cutco's umbrella, but stepping out, starting a consulting company, starting um, a single family home maintenance company. And from there, you know, starting lifestyle investor. And so I can talk more of the details, but that that at least got to the lifestyle investor parts of the story. But we started a couple of friends and I, we wanted to start a company. And I always was a little nervous to do that until I kind of had the cash flow taken care of. So mm-hmm. I bought mobile home parks early in my career. I wanted to buy assets that produce income. I had a friend that was doing it. I ended up getting mentored by one of the most successful people in the space, the largest private owner of mobile home parks. And uh, we got started early. And so that really was what gave me this clarity, this peace of mind that I could get into the business world is I didn't really have to worry about money. I didn't worry if the business failed or not because the first park I bought replaced my wife's income as a teacher. And the second park, so she retired, we had our daughter, Mm -hmm. the second park I bought replaced our survival income. So we didn't have to work. Now, it wasn't lifestyle income yet, it was just survival, but it was a a weight lifted off of my shoulders. And then we bought another park, it covered our lifestyle income, we bought another park and that technically we sold one and, and flipped that into two other ones. There's something called a 1031 exchange where you can roll those taxes forward, defer the taxes, basically. And we bought two other parks. And that covered the earned income that we had at that time from one of the businesses. And that transition became really smooth because we didn't have to make any money. We could really call our own shot of when to work, how to work, what do we work on? And it was really special. And so because of having that space, that clarity, that the ease to just try something and not worry if it, if it failed or not, I think that allowed me to be in a place where we were able to build a really big business, a company called Stellar, that services the largest institutional owners, single family home maintenance companies in the US. And that company has grown to be a very large company. We raised, you know, VC rounds, Series A and a Series B from uh, S3 Ventures, the largest Texas VC. Uh, and that company's taken off. And along the way, you know, I really was able to figure out what it was that I wanted in life, what it was that I wanted to help other people do. And taking a year off to figure out next steps, that's really where the lifestyle investor came from. And we can talk more about that if you want. Yeah, well, we'll definitely get into that. That was one of the things I remember when we first connected, because I I came from a world, obviously, the world of finance, where most of the times it's these pools of money in certain financial instruments, you know, equities, bonds, annuities, all that, where you're trying to generate a return for someday money. And you were very much in the world of creating passive income 
to create freedom around your lifestyle. And I know we've geeked out a lot on that and you've yeah. helped me in a number of, of instances there. And I think that's one of the things it's almost like you created an annuity with an income stream based on your investments to give you that freedom to live life on your own terms, which really inspired me in a lot of ways. And what's funny is that journey was happening on your side as kind of a lifestyle investor, right? As I was leaving my corporate job to venture out on my own as an entrepreneur, which is, as you know, very scary when you go totally. from a guaranteed paycheck to a uh, Hey, I've got this dream and I hope someday it pays off. So you did it um, the before, opposite of me because I could have done it that way. I think my wife would have freaked out if I did it that way and just like cut the cord and went and pursued it. And for her, I knew in the back of my mind, she's going to feel way more comfortable if lifestyle doesn't change. So a lot of the reason yes. I did it is for her sake, because I could have just jumped shipped and, and done what you had done, which there's a thrill to that. But there's also a peace of mind on the other side. I don't know if my wife, Sarah, would call it a thrill, but <laughs> she would have preferred your path as opposed to not make a paycheck for two years, I'm sure. So, well, before we go into lifestyle investor, and there's there's a couple of stops along the way I want to dive into, being a guy that you know started kind of door-to-door sales on in the newspaper world, and then that translated to Cutco. In finance, obviously, a lot of financial advisors started very much in sales. You know, I mean, there's the Ed Jones story of door knocking. That's basically how most guys that grew up in that model started. What are some things, because you went from being the sales guy to overseeing sales guys or a team, any tips that you can think of for financial advisors out there? Because many of them are on that path of like, hey, it's an I, you know, a, a single player game to a we where they want to start to train and empower a team. And that's really tough when you've got these like, hey, I've, I've been doing this five years, 10 years, 20 years. And, and just like the school of hard knocks where you figure out objection handling and relationship building. So what tips along that journey would you give advisors out there trying to build sales teams? Well, I, I feel like we could do a whole podcast episode just on this topic because it's so important and there are so many nuances and so many things that we could get into. But just Preliminarily, I would say I think it's really important to work with people the way that they are wired, the way that they work best. I found using personality assessments to be a great resource to figuring out how do I communicate best with people to help them perform at the highest level, but make sure that we have a, a great working relationship. And so part of it is are the right people in the right seats. I mean, if I identify an A player, I'm happy to get them in the organization and figure out later where they need to go. But it really solves a lot of problems. If you know that this role needs, you know, a super detailed person, and you're able to figure out in an assessment, or even just in an interview, how detail oriented they are and kind of make that match. I also think it's really important. I always think about long term, you know, that that progression. So when someone starts with me, I would like to know that they've got an executive level profile because I want them to grow with me in the business. You know, so for example, one of, you know, my very first executive assistants, and technically she was a personal assistant first and then became an executive assistant. And then she became head of our real estate portfolio. And now she's working in lifestyle investor, but also working as an asset manager on the real estate side of things. And so for her, when I look at her assessment, uh, not only does she have skills that complement me, that I think is really important, especially as like first employee on or, or very new people in the beginning that they have complementary skills to you. 
uh, as like a, a sole member founder, but also that she has the capacity to be able to fill these bigger roles. Like, does her profile allow her to move into a chief marketing officer or a chief operating officer or a chief financial officer or, you know, any of the the C-suite, that is important to me. And then I think the culture, the morale, the camaraderie, the the spirit in the office I have heard this for a long time. I don't know where it started. I've heard it, you know, a lot of people lay claim to this, but that culture will eat strategy for breakfast, right? And this whole idea of making sure that people feel loved on and that they feel important and they feel part of something bigger than themselves, like all that matters. But to also show those people appreciation often along the way as you're building a relationship, building trust and, you know, really empowering them, trying to move from a dependent relationship to an independent relationship, right? At the beginning, probably there's a lot more handholding or there should be to moving them to independence where they can run on their own. And I'm okay with people making mistakes. I would rather give them that autonomy early on than to live in the the camp of micromanagement. I'm a much better macro manager. And also I would rather hire people. Like I would rather personally pay more for the right person that has a profile that would allow them to be an independent worker, to be an independent team member, knowing that maybe I got to pay a little bit more to get them to have the experience, or maybe I don't. But even if I did, I would rather find that person than the person I have to micromanage. I don't want to live in a space of the turnover that typically happens in micromanagement. I think retention is much stronger in a macro management environment. Yeah. And and who likes to be micromanaged? Nobody, right? So if you can, right. if you can get great people and empower them, and as, as one, uh, one person once told me, hire great people and get the hell out of the way for the most right. part. You know, I love that. Okay, let's go back to the personality assessments. Those are big at Triad as well. What are some of your favorite personality assessments when looking at potential hires? Probably my two favorite would be culture index and predictive index. Those are the two that I've used the most. Those two I have the most like back office knowledge of but I've done them all. I've used them all. Colby uh, is really interesting. I mean, probably mm-hmm. the biggest one in the space is Myers-Briggs, but there's DISC there. I mean, there's just, there's tons of them. You've got strength finders. I mean, all of them I think are great. And, and the way I would look at it is what's better instead of what's the best, what's better going in it blind or having an assessment? Well, definitely having an assessment. Well, once you make that realization, then it probably matters less what that assessment is and more do you know the ins and the outs of that assessment to help you work with people the right way and hire the right people and and actually be able to retain them after you hire them, right? To make less Mm -hmm. mistakes of hiring the wrong people, which is really costly, costly from a time standpoint, more so than from a, a financial standpoint, you know, but for me, I have really found the culture index and the predictive index to be a little bit more of outliers in the space. I like strength finders for a lot of reasons. And by the way, I would incorporate that. But these other two, I think, kind of stand on their own. Awesome. Yeah. And the thing is, one of the biggest keys in leadership, I mean, it's been said many times, is self-awareness. And to your point, nothing, no self-assessment or some form of self-assessment, not only does it help you as a leader 
create more self-awareness. So, you know, kind of your wiring, how you show up certain ways, how you communicate, but same for your team. Like you're developing now self-awareness among the team, which is obviously going to improve the culture. So uh, we use where we lean heavily on self-assessments as well, or personality assessments, I should say. Since our time is short, I'm just going to keep flowing here. Okay, so we we kind of did the, the Cutco journey, grew up there, started making some investments that created passive income, which created some freedom. And it was right around that time that our paths crossed at Front Row Dads. And going into this, I was like, I have to hit this story because one of the things uh, at Triad we've heard a lot is like, man, do business, do life. That has kind of a cool ring to it. How did you guys come up with that? And I haven't told this. I don't think I've told this story on the podcast yet. So I I waited for this episode. I'm going to let you share your version of this story first, but it took took place in Blackberry Farms. Very picturesque for those that have been there. They know uh, on a hike, it was you and your wife, Sean, my business partner, his wife, Aubrey, and then Sarah and myself. And what ended up happening, not by design, but it was kind of like the guys were in a little pack. The girls were in a little pack. We were on this cool hike through the smoky hills, the foothills of the smoky mountains, I should say. And we started a conversation because I was just leaving my prior life. And I was kind of in this like middle ground of, I don't really know what I'm going to do next, but I know it's going to be in finance. I know it's going to involve relationships and people. And we were just kind of hashing through a life conversation. So what's your version of that conversation? Well, and, and for better or worse, I feel like I was like, go jump ship, you know, like this is your opportunity. Don't be afraid yeah. of it. This is where the magic happens and the opportunity and possibility is just to the moon, you know, so I'm excited about it. And by the way, this little hike, it's funny that we call them the foothills because these are pretty big foothills. And then yeah. uh, this was like a five hour hike. I mean, this was a long, long hike. And so we just got quality time with no devices and we were brainstorming what the future could look like. You know, I had spent a lot of time kind of figuring out what the next, you know, chapter of my life looked like. And I felt really honored to be able to be part of, you know, figuring out what your next chapter could look like. And so it was fun just connecting and playfully thinking about what the future looks like and what different business models could look like and who would be part of it. And, you know, having people that you want to spend time with, like, to me, that's the most important thing is you surround yourself with the people that you enjoy the most doing that on a social setting, but also bringing that to the workplace. You know, I know a lot of people say don't do business with your friends because it can wreck your friendships and it can, it has, I've experienced that, but I think if set up the right way and proper expectations are laid out on, you know, at the onset, I think it can be something beautiful. And in Lifestyle Investor, my closest friends uh, helped me run the business. They're in executive positions. And so, you know, we've talked about what it's like to do life together and then to, you know, it has expanded, right, to uh, doing business with those that you want to do life with. And then you shorten that. So, the thought of where it came up and the conversations and the memory of this, we'll call it bigger than foothills, not quite a mountain, but felt pretty mountainous. Uh, And then it started raining. Well, I was going to say by the, by about the last hour, it was pouring on us and, uh, but it was awesome. It was awesome. I mean, it was still one of my favorite memories 
And when there's so much clarity too, I mean, I, I feel like decisions were made there by all parties to, you know, move in different directions than where they were or to trust their gut, their intuition to move towards what they think it should be or what it might be. And it's hard sometimes because when it's the unknown, sometimes it's hard to pull the trigger. You don't know what you're getting yourself into. Oh, you don't yeah. know how hard it's going to be. And you did. You just move forward. And it was really cool to see. There's nothing scarier for, for most humans than the unknown or change. I mean, yes. I don't. I don't care how many, you know, how adventurous you are, how, how much you tell yourself, you know, like one of our mantras at the Johnson's house is get uncomfortable and do hard things. You know, that's where mm -hmm. the growth comes from. That doesn't make it any easier though. It's that's still right. hard in the moment, but I do remember vividly in that conversation, something getting thrown around was like, man, like life's too short. You should just be doing business with people you want to do life with. And that just rung in my ears and so for those of you that are now listening to the Do Business, Do Life podcast, and obviously those that are familiar with Triad, that's really our, our core mission is to, uh, for our members that we want to better their businesses, we want to better their lives, and we believe there, there isn't a balance or a separation, there's an integration because we're one human, right? We don't have lead two separate lives. So I figured that'd be a fun story to get into. Um, you bet. Great transition to Lifestyle Investor because that's a lot of like, what you help teach people to do is how do you, you know, I think a lot of entrepreneurs are so busy working in their business, which was, you know, at one point their dream, like I'm not going to work for the man anymore or whatever. And then they look up 10 years later and their business has become their life. They're like a slave to it. And I know right. one of the things that you unlock in your mastermind group, obviously wrote a lot about this in your book is how do you get back to the business working for you or creating investments that work for you so you have this passive income or some form of income that gives you freedom again. So let's go there. Like, What, what are your thoughts? Uh, what are some big takeaways around those teachings? Yeah, well, I, I think most people, you know, when they're young, they have all these dreams, all these things that they could do and who they want to be. And I think that that fades over time and you get into something and sometimes you feel stuck. I think for most people, they find themselves a slave to something in some way, a slave to the job that they have, a slave to safety and security and the known versus the unknown. You know, for those that are entrepreneurs, it's a slave to their business. Most people say, hey, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a business owner. But really, the business owns you. That's what I see nine out of 10 times. They cannot get out. By the way, at first, it probably feels better because maybe they're making more money. Maybe there's freedom and autonomy at first. And maybe that's better than if you work for someone else. But for most people, I think their business owns them or their possessions own them. And so it's like being handcuffed. And, and the more money that someone makes in this, the more they're rewarded for it, the more like, and that's already a cultural norm where you're rewarded and recognized for working hard, making more, moving up, having a certain title, having an executive title or having, you know, being a, a, a CEO, being a co-founder or entrepreneur or whatever it is. And I just find that most people are a slave to the business they own. They're a slave to the job that they have. They're a slave to the possessions that they own. They once thought they were owning possessions when really the possessions own them, you know, especially with multiple homes or multiple vehicles or multiple, you know, the toys that people can have, the boats, the mm -hmm. planes, et cetera. And so I just really wanted to help people buy their time back. 
I took a year off to get clarity and we traveled the world. Our, our family had just an absolute blast, went to 13 countries and I literally journaled every day. What am I going to do? What inspires me? What, you know, how do I love spending my time? And I realized the things that I do the most is I love to read. I did it every day. I woke up. I, I mean, still to this day, I wake up every morning and I read. I love that. I love to teach. So the more I learn, the more I want to teach it to people that I know. So I, I love teaching. I love coaching people uh, to do the things I've done, you know, to create financial freedom. That's really fun to me. On the learning side, I'm, I'm an eternal student. I just want to learn. And then I also love to do deals. And I love when they're cash flowing. I love when they kind of follow my 10 commandments of passive income and, you know, financial freedom, my, my cash flow commandments, which we can talk more about. But that to me, you know, we're, we're de-risking a deal, we're getting a return on our capital, we're getting our capital back quickly, we're getting cash flow day one. There's so many different things that to me are important. And when I saw all those, I felt like, hey, I would have a lot of fun teaching people to do this. I'd have a lot of fun kind of going through the iterations of what it takes to buy your time back. Let's stop worrying about being a billionaire. Let's focus on being a time billionaire, right? You know, when people own their time, they don't have to make as much as they think. And once you get out of that rat race of achievement, of more, of optimization and maximization, there's this beautiful world out there. And it it exists always, but most of the time, people can't experience it until they have solved the financial problem. My life costs X amount of dollars. Once your passive income equals that X amount of dollars, and we, we could start at different tiers. It could be survival income. It could be lifestyle income. It could be earned income. It could be ideal lifestyle income. But once someone solves for that, it's amazing what opens up. And as it opens up, I find when the financial problem is solved. I find people step into their, their gifts, the things they enjoy most, what fulfills them, utilizing their talents in a way that is totally different than optimizing the dollar, right? It's optimizing for time. It's the relationships. They get to be present with the people that matter the most. There's just so much that comes from shifting from a reactionary life, a life on default, to a proactive life, a life by design. And so that's what I love helping people unlock and explore and get out of the rat race, get off of the treadmill. Sometimes the treadmill's nicer, like you soup it up because you have, you know, you have your own business or you're making a lot of money or whatever it is. So sometimes it gets even harder to get off because it's a gold treadmill. You know, it's a <laughs> platinum treadmill. It keeps upgrading, but it's still a treadmill. Yeah. I I heard a coach one time around this whole concept say, well, well, what would you actually do if you won the lottery? You know, because to everything you just hit, it's like, you know, as a kid, like I look at our kids and it's like the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? And there's just this sense of like wonder of like, there are no constraints. And I think as an adult, you go to college, then you get that first job. You're like, okay, I've got to, I've got to get the first house. I got to get a decent car. And then it's constantly this, this treadmill that you're on to your analogy and nothing is ever good enough. And you're actually creating these traps for yourself. And I think that's just such a freeing question. Well, like you won the lottery, what would you actually do? That's like, if you have this level of passive income at those different you know, levels you just talked about, what would you actually want to do? Who would you want to spend time with? What trips would you take? What hobbies would you do? What business would you actually start if you didn't have to be in a job all the time? 
And what are some fun, um, you've got to at this point have some fun case studies or stories of like, here's this dude making or lady making a bunch of money, but they actually hated their life to once we created this bridge of income, now they're actually doing something they enjoy showing up to every day. What are some of your favorite stories? Yeah, we've got tons of them, uh, you know, both men and women and, and, you know, each in different situations. I mean, what's really fun for me sometimes is with people that had an exit and two things happen. So there's, I guess there are three different categories. The category that I see most often, or I hear about most often is the highly paid business professional or professional, whatever the niche is. Maybe you're an executive, Mm -hmm. maybe you're a lawyer. Maybe you're a doctor or a highly paid salesperson, but someone that, you know, has earned income W-2, but very highly compensated. And so we have a number of these people that have transitioned from W-2 over here to passive income, to becoming a full-time investor. And that is really rewarding. I mean, every walk of life, you name it, we have had people in our community go from, and it's not to say that being on the W-2 side is bad or is wrong. It's, It's right for many people, but for someone that knows that they need a change or they know it's not right for them, they really should pivot and move to the other side, right? But then we also have the entrepreneurs that they are a slave to their business. They are overworked. They don't have the ability to pull themselves out. And so I like being able to help them scale their company, systematize it more, plug in more people that can do the operations, get them out you know, to the bigger picture things like vision and strategy while maintaining or growing sales, but show them a path to actually leaving or walking away. Or you know, the idea of being, instead of being, the CEO being a chairman, right? Because, you know, there's still a lot of reward in that, but the demands are a lot less. And then the third category that we often deal with and experience are the people that had an exit. And they're like, "Uh oh, what do I do now? I have all this money. I was really good as an entrepreneur. I don't know what to do as an investor. Or here's the other side of it. Because I was so good as an entrepreneur, I'm going to be a really good investor. And that often ends in destruction, right? Because those two skill sets are not the same. There's a large gap between strong entrepreneur, strong investor, right? So there's education that needs to go in there. But what happens is these people just likely had the biggest exit they've ever had. They're sitting on more cash than they've ever had. Yet, they're not excited. They're not feeling good because they don't know how to get their money to work for them. So every single week that goes by, every month that goes by, the total in their bank account is dwindling. They're living life and the total is dropping. And so they actually often live life through a scarce lens of, I need to hold on to this. I'm spending too much money. I don't know how to create more money. And so for me, some of the most rewarding things are taking these people that are in a scarce mindset or in a place where they feel totally ill-equipped and giving them the tools to solve any of those problems that we just discussed. We have people on every single side of the aisle. You know, we had one of our our guys that, you know, had a monster nine-figure exit. And you would think nine figures, you're set for life. But if you have a divorce and then you get into some bad deals, you have taxes, by the way, that you have to pay on that big exit. So, you know, after those three events, we have seen people that their total where you're like, oh, set for life dwindles down to 
definitely not set for life. I mean, some of you might hear, you know, 10, 15, 20 million and that you might be like, oh, set for life. Not for someone that's lifestyle is a $1.5 million a year lifestyle, right? Yeah. I mean, that person's going to spend all their money in a matter of years if they don't fix it. And so my job, my goal, my mission, and with this specific example, I was able to help this individual create that $1.5 million in passive income, which is really fun and really exciting and really rewarding. So everyone has a different story. Everyone has a different path, but there are things that need to be solved for every step of the way. And I just love helping people solve it. And by the way, it's not always me. You know, we've got this community of brilliant people. About 20 to 30% of them are high income earning professionals. Uh, then you've got, you know, the other 70 to 80% that are entrepreneurs, probably half of that having had an exit and half of that still in their business. And so it's it's three distinct groups of people that make up the Lifestyle Investor Mastermind. You know, there are about 130 of us. And it's really just fun watching everyone collaborate and learn from one another. Yeah. Well, fun fact, we shared the the Blackberry Farm story where you were really there at, at that transitional point for me where I went from a W-2 employee that was a highly compensated salesperson, really. And I really didn't even know at that stage what the future of entrepreneurship looked like for me. But I did a very similar thing where I took a few months off and really wanted to get crystal clear on that next thing for me. But also, you know, COVID, I mean, COVID's all happening, right? This was, you know, March 2020. And I remember it was like maybe a month into COVID. And if you remember dates, like throw them in there. But we're like, all of us were feeling a little like constrained. And you and I are very social people that enjoy lots of relationships. And I don't know who came up with the idea, but we're like, let's do a Zoom happy hour. And so we popped some good wine. You were on there. I was on there. Sean was on there. I remember Ryan Levesque was on there. Ryan Casey. There's probably a few names I'm forgetting. But it was almost this like, Zoom happy hour. And then naturally, we gravitated toward just talking investments and investing. And we started talking about real estate investments. We got into mobile homes. We got into some other stuff. And we were just kind of like nerding out on investments while drinking some good wine and having some fellowship. And I don't know how much of that really colored the lifestyle investor journey because you kind of just took some of that and then it became this mastermind. So I feel like I was kind of at the ground floor a little bit of lifestyle investors. Is that fair? Yeah, you 100% were at the ground floor. In fact, there's probably many shout outs and bits of praises that you deserve because for my podcast, The Lifestyle Investor, I don't know if I for sure would have started that without your prompting to start it. And you talking about how much you love having a podcast and how you think that my personality is a real good fit for it and how I should just do six podcasts, see if I should, if I like it and then keep going. And so that was really the motivation I needed on the podcast front. What's cool about that is the Lifestyle Investor is now a top 1% of all downloaded podcasts. And I don't think that would be here or would, you know, have had the same I don't know if it would be here had it not been for your prompting. John Kane, who's a, a mutual friend of ours, a dear friend of mine, he's the guy that really pushed me over the edge to write the book, The Lifestyle Investor, because mm. I had kicked the can down the road for 10 plus years. I've had friends saying, hey, you should write that book. That book is like, just capture the stuff that you're doing. And I just was like, I don't know. I, I don't know if this is important enough. I don't know if people will like it. I don't even know. I'm not an author, you know, and I just, I kept kicking the can down the road. And I remember we had a conversation walking around town Lake here in Austin. And he said, Justin, if you die and your daughter never learns 
all these things that you have figured out in the realm of investing, how are you going to feel? And mm. that was like the gut punch that got me to commit to writing the book. So the next day I started writing the book. I didn't have a big network then. I didn't have a big following. I didn't have much of anything. I had a bunch of friends that I emailed and I was like, oh, pretty please, you know, if this sounds interesting to you, would you uh, consider buying a copy of it? You know, I probably emailed 200 people max, right? I didn't have a, a list or a following, but there were so many profound and, and impactful stories that happened with people reading it that it went viral on social media, ended up becoming a number one Wall Street Journal bestseller and, and USA Today bestseller. And then as of last year, I don't know if you know this, but as of last year, January 2023, it became a top 1% of all books ever sold, period, which is pretty incredible. And the thing I'm most proud of is that all the proceeds of the Lifestyle Investor book go to fight human trafficking. So we've been able to donate hundreds of thousands of dollars on you know, behalf of those, those efforts with the Tim Tebow Foundation and Love Justice International. So that, that to me, I had two really good friends that got me to write a book and to start a podcast. And then let's you know, tie a bow on this with our social happy hour. And I remember thinking, this is so fun. Let's keep doing it. Let's actually take it up a notch. What would it look like if I brought a sponsor on here and we started vetting deals together? And then I created my list of questions and then we'd all ask, you know, I had, you know, my itemized questions that I would ask and then everyone asked their questions. And then we would decide if we want to deal, you know, do a deal. And then it was, hey, let's try and negotiate. I didn't know if it would work, but I said, I'm going to try and negotiate preferred terms because there are a bunch of us. So if all of us invest and, you know, we could get a good deal because they give us some sort of discount for volume, that could be cool. And then we started getting all these really good deals. So then we started getting access to deals that we shouldn't get access to. We were able to negotiate preferred terms. And I remember you saying, Justin, I think you are onto something here. I don't know what it is. I don't know exactly what it looks like, but what we're doing right here, people would pay to do this. And that just kind of stuck in my head because we were having fun. I mean, it was really like just an investment club you know, happy hour thing for a long time. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was, I did it for free for a really long time. And you and many other friends were like, Justin, I would pay you. Like, this is valuable information. You should charge money. And that's really where the Lifestyle Investor Mastermind started. I did a one day event, invited a bunch of friends. I didn't want it to be too big because it was the first, you know, event <laughs> I'd ever done, but I invited 20 or 21 people and just, presented everything that I knew on mobile home park investing and passive income and whole life insurance and just everything that I could think of on getting your money to work for you and creating financial freedom and buying your time back. And I said, hey, if you like this, I think I'm going to do this once a month. But I wanted to throw a high price point out there because I didn't want this to be like something that the masses did. I wanted it to be high price point, people who were serious, people that are pot committed because they invested and keep it to a small group of people. And I never would have imagined that 18 of the people of that 20 or 21 people would sign up for it and that it would just continue to grow. I mean, we capped it for a while at 100 people. I mean, technically we were capped at like the first 50 and then everyone's mm -hmm. like, well, open it for more. You know, this is great. And then we capped it at 100 and we sat at 100 for a while. And all the members were like, hey, let's not limit it. And this will never be a big thing. I don't want it to be huge. I don't want it to be Tiger 21 or anything like that. I like it being a small group, but we lifted the 100 person cap and we're on a wait list right now at, you know, um, you know, right around 125, 130 people, which is, you know, it's cool to see how big it's grown, but 
not in a million years would I have ever guessed that the stuff that I enjoy talking about, that I find important, that I geek out about are topics that other people would enjoy and that would resonate so much with them. Mm. I'm proud of you, man. You influenced me a lot uh, during that really pivotal moment in my life and gave me some great advice because you'd kind of you'd kind of had a scary exit from Cutco, you know, a little before me. And so I took a lot of of your words of wisdom and it's good to hear, you know, the nudge on the podcast because because I remember we talked the other day and I've been pretty heads down the last three years. And and that's one of my goals this year is to really make sure I'm investing time in in friendships and relationships that honestly it's been that season, that early season at Triad that I've I've sacrificed some of that. And I, I brought up your podcast. I was like, dang, bro, not only did you take my advice, you blew this thing out of the water. You, you've got some very high-powered guests. So if you're sitting here listening and um, some of this resonates with you, definitely go check out, we'll put it in the show notes, Justin's podcast, uh, The Lifestyle Industry. He's got great stuff, great conversations. He's a curious guy. And you, I promise you'll learn if you go check out an episode or two. So yeah, it's awesome to see, man. And by the way, shout out to Charlie who produces yes. both of our podcasts and uh, who I honestly, John Broman introduced me to That's right. because he was doing John's podcast, Front Row Dads back in the day. So it's funny how all these networks all come together over time. I love it. That's so cool. And by the way, I'm so glad you started your podcast again. I, I was hoping to return the favor of you really encouraging me to run my, you know, start a podcast. And then you know, you had a podcast previously that you stopped doing. And I was trying to be the friend that's like, Hey, what, you know, when are you going to get this yeah. one up and running? So I'm so fired up that you're back in it. Cause you're a great podcast host. You ask wonderful questions. You're super curious. And, you know, on so many levels, you have impacted my life and my family's life for the better. So I'm proud of you for what you've built. And I just think it's fun that we get to do this together. Yeah. Thanks, man. It was actually a piece of my life that was missing. You know, you jump into it and it was just over two years into triad before I finally had the bandwidth to come up for air. And, and I really like you and I are very similar. We're both Enneagram sevens. We both love people, love relationships, and we're, we're naturally curious. We want to learn. Um, so we've got a lot of similarities there. And it's like podcasting is like this. It's this secret hack to where it's like, wait, I can just have an hour, hour 15 conversation with this author this investor, this person. And it's like this personal mentoring session. And then you just record it and put it out to the world. And I'm like, selfishly, I would do a podcast if nobody listened, because it's like this mastermind session, you know, the, the platform of a podcast allows you to have. So what, what are some of your takeaways? Because you've now been podcasting for a few years. What has it done? Like, let's just go to life before the podcast for Justin life after the podcast. What's it done for you? I think there's the obvious of when you have a podcast, you know, for, for better or worse, you tend to be in people's eyes, you know, be a little more high profile, which like, I don't care about any of that, but it, it helps me get access to people that I may not otherwise have access to. Right. So now yep. people are like, Oh, you've got a big podcast. I'd love to be on that podcast. So now I'm interviewing people that I feel like I don't even belong ha to have a conversation with you, but I get to like, that's really yep. cool. And for me, it does, it scratches the itch of I want to learn. I'm so curious. I'm so fascinated by how people discover their gifts and create success and earn the income that they do and build the business that they do and invest the way that they do. I mean, I just, I love it. So I can't imagine not doing it because it, it really 
is one of the more satisfying and rewarding things I do because it it really shows up to what I value most, which like I value learning and teaching. And the more that I learn from people, the more topics and ammunition I have to teach the people in my life that matter most to me. Mm -hmm. And I'd also put just knowing you, you value relationships at a high level and a podcast puts relationships on steroids because it brings these new people into your life. And not every person you have on your show, you're like, oh yeah, I can't wait to reconnect with them. But many, I found like, totally. like many of them have become some of my closest friends, John Rulin. And so right. here's the power of a podcast, John Rulin. I meet him through my prior podcast. He's like, Hey, you're a dad. I've got a buddy named John Vroman. He runs this group front row dads. You should go. So I went, met John Vroman. And then the next round I meet you. So had it not been for the podcast, I don't know that if we'd be having this conversation today, which is so pretty true. insane. So true. And we've gotten a chance to travel all over, experience all kinds of stuff, you know, host wine events at each of our homes from a group that you discovered out in, you know, Tuscany and Italy. I mean, so many cool experiences. I just love it. And I know that there are many more waiting for us in the future. Yeah, for sure. Well, I know our, our time is, is getting towards an end because I've got a junior high basketball game that I do not want to be late for, obviously. You kind of touched on pieces of this before, Justin, when we were kind of talking about that BlackBerry hike, you know, do business, do life. But being the do business, do life show, I would love to hear what is Justin Donald's official definition of do business, do life? Like, what's that mean to you? Well, I mean, that means the world to me. It, it means be intentional with who you're spending time with, be intentional with who you're building businesses with, and pick the people that you just love and adore. And maybe it's people that you feel like you can mentor them up, but maybe it's people that you just love spending time with. You can't wait to, you know, to hang out with. I find that when I work with people that I absolutely love, I want to go the extra mile. I want to invest the extra time. I want to do the extra cool thing outside of the workplace. I want to do all the things because I value the relationship. So for me, it's everything because these are the people I want to spend the most time with. And I also have found that if I do, you know, a mini podcast, if you will, like a mini interview where I really get to know people and really go deep, the better I know someone, the more I really enjoy, appreciate and love that person. And it makes me want to go so many more miles extra for them on their behalf. So I think there's no better name for a show and no better motto to do business. It's an honor that our conversation that we were able to talk through this and distill it down to this and the impact that it's been able to have. I can't imagine not living life this way. This is just so wonderful to me. It's a precious experience. I can't ever imagine doing life any other way. Well said. Well, my man, I've been looking forward to this all week. I always enjoy our conversation. So thanks for grabbing some time and, and sharing your wisdom with the audience. And I know there will be many more of these conversations in the future, some recorded, some not, but uh, really appreciate some over you. Wine. For, <laughs> probably more, more than a couple for sure. So, <laughs> well, my man, until next time, appreciate you. Thanks so much. Thanks, dude. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the DBDL podcast. On to this week's featured review. Five stars. 
And they say, love the Jamie and Jim Shields episode, episode 14, featuring Jim and Jamie Shields discussing the family board meeting concept is a must listen for families seeking transformative connections. Their personal stories and practical tips make this episode both accessible and profound. Jim and Jamie's warmth and relatable anecdotes immediately engage listeners, making it easy to envision the positive impact of the family board meeting. Their clear definition and purpose, along with practical tips on scheduling, location, activities, provide a roadmap for successful implementation. Thanks, Brad and the DBDL team for bringing us this episode. Well, thank you so much for the review. And I have to say, Jim and Jamie's work has impacted my family life, the do life side, more than any book I've ever read. In fact, the family board meeting book is hands down my most gifted book ever. For those of you that listened to the Taylor Schulte episode, we actually talked about how that book, based on him sharing something he was struggling with on Twitter, actually got us connected in the first place when I mailed it to him. And uh, I have a number of friends, moms, dads that now live by the family board meeting. So in the spirit of truly doing business and doing life at another level, I have to say, if you missed that episode, definitely go back and check it out. If you're a parent, this has led to some of my most meaningful memories with my kids, memories I wouldn't trade for the world. So glad it hit home. And thanks for leaving the honest review. And we'll stay on that mission to not only level up on the business front, but also on the life front. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Do Business, Do Life podcast. As we wrap, for access to show notes, transcripts, and exclusive content from all of our show's guests, don't forget to visit bradleyjohnson.com forward slash podcast. And before you go, I've got a quick favor to ask. If you're liking the podcast, you can help support the show by leaving your rating and review on iTunes. Not only do we read every single comment, but this will help the show rank and get discovered by new listeners and other financial advisors out there that can benefit from the show. Trust me, it really does help. So thanks again for joining and be sure to tune in next week for another episode. These conversations are intended to provide financial advisors with ideas, strategies, concepts, and tools that could be incorporated into their advisory practice. Advisors are ultimately responsible for ensuring implementation of anything discussed is in accordance with any and all regulatory and compliance responsibilities and obligations. This episode is for informational purposes only. Neither myself nor Triad Partners endorses Lifestyle Investing Mastermind or investment strategies. I am not a member of the Lifestyle Investing Mastermind, and each individual should make their own decision about their investments with the help of qualified professionals.